0: Easter Sunday is the high pinnacle of the Christian year. Um, our retelling and our reliving of the gospel story simply doesn't get any better than it does this morning. This day, when we remember the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ from the dead, death is crushed to death. Life is mine to live, won through your selfless love. That's the message of Easter the message of the resurrection, and it's awesome. Or is it? I think some of us struggle with this. I think if we're honest, and I'm going to stick out my neck this Easter Sunday morning, I think if we're honest, a lot of us don't feel as excited about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and our memory of it as we think we should. We don't really know what to do with it all. We're able to do all sorts of things with Christmas to commercialize it, make it into a big deal, something that needs two months of a build-up to get you there. Easter? I remember one year when Easter pretty much passed me by. I was busy at work doing other things and I remember showing up in church one Sunday and the minister wished us all a happy Easter and it was the first I knew. Maybe it's the first you know this year. The resurrection is hard to get a handle on. It's so obviously God's operation and so obviously something that we can't have any part in or can't replicate or can't commercialise or I think we find Easter quite difficult to really enjoy and experience and as a result we lose interest. There. How's that about an honest start to a reflection on Easter? Let's think for a few moments then together about John's account and the account of the other gospel writers of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want to see if the resurrection itself, as recorded in Scripture, telling the story of the new life that God gave to his son Jesus, might tell us a little bit about how we might expect the new life of Jesus to come to us. If there's new life here, we don't want to miss it. The four gospel writers all talk about the resurrection of Jesus. They all complete their story of Jesus' life with at least one story, but usually multiple stories uh, around his resurrection. And if you took half an hour this afternoon to, to read the resurrection accounts in each of the gospels, you'll see that they're quite different. The four writers all come from a different angle, But I think the one element in common, and it's probably the bit that we most need to recover, it's a sense of wonder and of astonishment and of surprise. Nobody's surprised here this morning that I'm talking about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. The calendar tells us that this is the day we do this. But the first Easter, that sense of astonishment, of wonder, of surprise, despite all the hints that they had in the Hebrew Scriptures and even what Jesus had said himself, forecasting his resurrection, it turns out that no one, not one person, expected it to happen. There was nobody there waiting. Not one. So the first people involved in Jesus' Resurrection, maybe we wouldn't blame them. They'd been up close and personal with his death just a couple of days before, and now they had to face this huge about turn, and all of a sudden they were confronted with life. And as they did, as they were confronted, they were bowled over by the wonder. I want to very quickly guide you through what the four gospel writers say, but then take a step back and see some of the dynamics of these stories that we might otherwise have missed. Matthew tells us of Mary Magdalene and a woman whom he calls the other Mary. They make their way early on Easter Sunday morning to visit the tomb, and it's the same tomb where they had been on the Friday afternoon and had seen Joseph of Arimathea put Jesus crucified body in there. So they they approach that tomb and the angel tells them that Jesus is risen they leave the tomb with this astonishing good news, a way to tell Jesus' other disciples only to be stopped in their tracks with a, a greeting, good morning, and they turn and they see and they worship Jesus. Now, what I want to do is show you how the other accounts add to or, or vary the way John's, or Matthew's recorded it. Mark adds some details to Matthew's account He tells us that the women were on their way to embalm Jesus' body. And as they're going, he gives us a really everyday insight. He shows us the conversation they're having on their way. They're saying to themselves, how are we going to get in at the body? How are we going to get in? We know there's a huge stone in front of the tomb. But when they arrive, they find that the stone's been rolled away and that the tomb is open. Surprise! This is just not what they expected. All their plans were for rolling stones away and and they didn't need to. So they expected to have a big problem and there's no problem. They expected to do a particular and important job and there's no job to do. So the whole thing's surprising. After they encounter the angel, Matthew... Matthew had told us about then. Mark describes the women's state of mind. He says that they were trembling and bewildered, and they went out and fled from the tomb. No wonder. No wonder. Luke tells a story, and he focuses in on the confusion of the women. There's a real sense in his story of the women going, what is this? What's going on here? And it takes the angels to remind them that Jesus had predicted all of this. That he'd be crucified and that on the third day he'd rise again. And so they rush to tell the other disciples. Just as the women had been confused and didn't know what to make of it, Luke tells us that the disciples don't believe them. Well, why would they? Why would they? John, and now we've reached the passage we have just read a moment ago, he adds another dimension that none of the other other gospel writers have. He has Mary arriving at the tomb early in the morning. She sees that the stone's been rolled away, and she completely misinterprets what she sees. She sees that the tomb is empty, and she jumps to the obvious conclusion. Robbery, grave robbers, and I think that's the conclusion we would come to, by the way, if we went to visit the grave of a loved one in Roselawn or Dundonald Cemetery. Mary, her sense of reality is entirely intact. She's making good, sensible deductions from the evidence that she has before. Why else would a grave be empty? And when Mary then brings Peter and the other disciple to the empty tomb, they come to a different conclusion. And they conclude something about resurrection. I don't know if you noticed it in John's account, why they came to that conclusion. We think John's probably the other disciple, so he's an eyewitness. He's writing what he himself saw that morning. And he noticed a striking and a giveaway detail. He says that the cloth that was used to cover Jesus' head was separate from the cloth that covered his body. And it was, as John records, folded up by itself. John must be one of those conspiracy theorist kind of people or detective kind of people. He can, he can look and see what's going on. He deduces that this isn't a robbery, The evidence speaks of something else. Grave robbers wouldn't have unwrapped the corpse, and if they had, they wouldn't have left the cloths in this particular way. John comes to the truth. Resurrection. Now, if we allow these four biblical texts retelling the story of the resurrection I think they can invite us to a growing sense of wonder at how God chose to work in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I think this might just be a wonderful way to open our lives to the new life that God wants to give us in Jesus today. Let me suggest five things that are full of wonder, or are wonderful. About these stories. First thing to notice about the resurrection, it caught everyone unawares. We've already said this. No matter how much Jesus tried to tell them, I'm going to fall into the hands of evil men, they're going to crucify me, but on the third day I'll rise, no matter how much he tried to tell them, nobody expected this. And that's important. It shows us that our God is a God of surprises. A God of the unexpected. We shouldn't expect God to limit himself to our predictable working patterns. If you think you've got God all sorted, well, let me just say we do, many of us. If we think we've got God all sorted, then I think we're the kind of people who close our lives to resurrection wonder. Another thing about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, nobody did anything to get ready for it. This isn't part of anybody's five-year plan. There were two religious groups in the culture at the time who were very into getting ready for the Messiah, getting ready for God's coming. So there were the Essenes, they were separatists. They said, this Jewish culture is a place where, where the Messiah is never going to show up. Let's take ourselves off to some remote part of the Dead Sea region and wait there for the Messiah to come. And then there are the Pharisees who stayed within their culture, and they decided that by living some sort of hyper purity and by calling everyone else to that, they too would be sort of sort of forcing God's hand, saying, look, We're living good lives. You've got to come. So these two communities, waiting for the Messiah, they aren't anywhere to be seen when the resurrection occurs. They're looking the other way. They totally missed it. It seems that everyone is a bit of a beginner in welcoming God into our lives. There aren't any experts. And I think that's probably a little disconcerting. We cannot make arrangements for God to show up and bring new life. That's not how it works. We can't say that we want 20 new converts this year or 30 people to progress to a deeper level of spiritual maturity next year. God, and he alone, brings new life. So, the resurrection happened by, took people by surprise. It happened without anyone planning it. And a third thing to notice, it was people on the edge of the culture, in this case women, who played a crucial part in receiving this new life, discovering it. There are the recognized leaders, there are the Peter and John in the story, but it's Mary Magdalene, probably the most unlikely person you can imagine who is the chief witness of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. What do we know about Mary Magdalene? The only biographical detail we know is that she was possessed by seven devils before Jesus delivered her from them. What does that mean? Well, it either means that she lived a life of Of just absolute immorality. That's one possibility. Or else she had some extreme form of mental illness. In either case, that's not the kind of person you make a chief witness at a huge event. The fact that she was a woman in a male-dominated society just adds to that sense of her Uh, disempowerment, her being on the fringe. And again, isn't that so interesting? When you consider how much we look to our megachurch leaders and our celebrity Christians, it's interesting that the likes of Mary is the one who gets closest to the new life that God is giving in Jesus Christ. Maybe we should stop always looking to the big guys and the important guys, And start looking to the places where God told us we'd find him among the poor, in the minorities, those who are suffering and rejected and humble children. A fourth striking thing about the resurrection of Jesus is that it was a quiet thing, a quiet business that happened in a quiet place, without any publicity or spectators don't get me wrong it was, a, it was a very dramatic experience for those who were in any way involved with it but, but there was nothing about it to draw a crowd that wasn't it seems the purpose Eugene Peterson tells of his experience of the church trying to make a big deal of Easter he says when I was young I played a trumpet in Montana where I grew up Easter always took place just at the edge of winter. I was up at 5, 5.30 or 6 every Easter morning for a sunrise service. Everyone wanted a trumpet played on Easter. Uh, thank you, David, uh, for this morning. Everyone wanted a trumpet played on Easter. My lips numb with cold and a frozen mouthpiece. I was there playing cracked notes on some hilltop around our town. The whole point was that you made a lot of noise. This is important, and you let the whole world know that it's important. Well, says Eugene Peterson, the church didn't get that from these gospel texts. Interesting. Given how much we're into creating a sense of event, of our bright lights and our loud sounds. Given how much we're into publicity, it's interesting that none of the way in which Jesus' new life came forth had anything to do with that. And bear in mind what we're talking about here, folks. The biggest event in human history, and Jesus didn't bother with a press release or a PR guy, his new life comes quietly. The resurrection comes as a surprise to people who haven't planned for it, the kind of people who seem pretty unlikely and it doesn't get as much as a poster or a tweet to draw attention to it. The fifth thing and final thing I want you to notice about the resurrection is that it made everyone afraid. Now that doesn't fit comfortably with us either. Everything that we talk about is about making people feel comfortable. I don't feel comfortable with that. How can we make people feel comfortable? The resurrection made everybody feel uncomfortable. The most common response to the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the gospel accounts, we're told is that people were afraid. We're afraid when we're caught off guard and when we don't know what to do. We're afraid when all our ideas about how, how things are and how they should be are thrown out the window. We're afraid when we don't know what happens next. We're afraid when reality, without warning, turns out to be very different and very much bigger than we ever thought it was. Folks, normally we don't like to experience fear. But the fear that the early disciples experienced at the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the greatest fear we could ever imagine. Why do I say that? Well, here's why. Because it's a fear that keeps us on our toes. It's a fear that has us knowing that there's something going on here that's far bigger than me. It's a fear that reminds me that I don't know it all and it keeps me open to what God's doing instead. Let me close by sharing with you a moment of resurrection wonder from an unlikely source. Many of you will know the U2 song, Beautiful Day, at the beginning of the 2000, year 2000 album, All That You Can't Leave Behind. More of you will know it than think you know it, because it was used as the theme tune for ITV's equivalent of Match of the Day for a few years in the early noughties. So if you were watching any uh, football highlights in those years, you know this song. Even if you do know the song and know it well, you might not know which song immediately precedes it in the U2 catalogue. So the last song on the previous album, the 1997 pop album, was called Wake Up Dead Man. And it captures the mood, I think, of the band and of the culture at the end of the 90s, full of doom and gloom. And the opening lines give us a sense of the tone of the song. It it goes like this. Jesus, Jesus, help me. I'm alone in this world and a messed up world it is too. Tell me, tell me the story, the one about eternity, and the way it's all going to be. Wake up, wake up, dead man. Wake up, wake up, dead man. It's a Good Friday kind of a song. It's a song that tells the story of a world where Jesus is in the tomb and his disciples are letting go of all hope. And it's in quite breathtaking contrast that Beautiful Day, the very next song in the new two catalogue, sounds for all the world like an Easter anthem. With its opening lines, the heart is a bloom, it shoots up through the stony ground. It's a song about hope after catastrophe. See the bird with the leaf in her mouth after the flood, All the colors come out. It was a beautiful day. Don't let it get away. It's the kind of thing that Peter and James might have sung together after Mary had come to them and told them the resurrection news. A dead man has woken up. A whole new life and a whole new kingdom has been born. There's resurrection and it's a beautiful day. I began this morning by admitting that we maybe don't get Easter. We maybe just don't get a handle on resurrection. Maybe we need to take our hands off the steering wheel, try and give up controlling everything in our lives and in our lives with God and maybe allow God to surprise us once more. Maybe we need to allow that the new life in Christ isn't something that we can plan for or advertise or control in any way. It might even be the kind of thing that makes us afraid. But imagine it. New life. Resurrection. Life. In the midst of all our doom and our gloom and our death and decay, new life, that would make for a beautiful day, wouldn't it? Let's pray. Father God, as we notice again in Your Word, just how much the resurrection of Jesus and the new life that You brought to Him took His disciples by surprise, how it unsettled them, how it challenged them and stretched them. Lord, we recognize how much we have domesticated and shrunk in our experience of You. We genuinely think we know it all. We think we have all the answers about how you work or or don't work in the world. Father God, forgive us and make us today like those early disciples who are simply present, simply paying attention, simply remaining together in the places where you might show up, and then ready to receive the new life when you bring it. Father God, I pray that our lives, I pray that our lives and that this community would be marked by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That he would prove to be what your word says, only the first of those who's risen from the dead. Lord, we pray that we would both receive and demonstrate the resurrection power of Jesus in our lives today. And we pray it in his name because we want the world to see that he lives and that he's beautiful and that he can bring new life to them too. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.